Art Yourself Alive podcast with your host Vicky Parker, sharing lived experience stories of the power of creativity to support your mental health and well-being. So welcome to this podcast episode, the final one in season one. And I'm so, so blessed to introduce you to one of my oldest, oldest and dearest friends and colleagues. Oh my God, Amanda Dawson. How are you, my darling? (laughs) It's so lovely to speak to you and see your gorgeous face. She's on Zoom, by the way, everyone. I'm not just imagining her in my head. (laughs) Although your imagination could bring up some amazing stuff, I'm absolutely certain. (laughs) Amanda Dawson, let me tell you, this this is going to be a raucous interview, I'm absolutely sure, full of real grit because this woman... I've known for 21 years and we both started in the same term as drama teachers at Lister Community School. So I don't know if any of our old Lister students are going to be hearing this. We're going to be sharing and sharing this and I really hope some of them hear it because we together were an absolute force in that drama in that drama department. And I know we touched the lives of a lot, a lot of teenagers and, you know, really contributed to their transformation and holistic growth as people through our department. So we're going to get really stuck into talking about that in the later sections of this interview. But just to be really clear about who the wonderful Amanda Dawson is, Amanda Dawson is a drama teacher. Um, she's still a drama teacher in East London at Plashit, yeah. head of drama at Plashit for girls. She's actually been teaching for 31 years. 31 years. She's laughing her head off as we speak. <laughs> yeah, she's also a mum of two, a uh, lovely girl and boy. And uh, she actually trained in acting at Royal Scottish Academy. And let me tell you, she is one of the most natural comedians you will ever meet. There is never a dull moment with this woman when you are around her. She's got the best, like, sayings and little comments that you can <laughs> that just match the situation. And I just was so blessed for nine years working in the same department as her because it's a riot, an absolute riot. But underneath all of this riot and this comedy and this, you know, this uh, salt of the earth wisdom, is a true, true commitment to kids and to the use of creativity, specifically theatre, to change the lives of young people and to set them on a road ready for their life. As we've said a million times in a year nine, you know, um, options evening, persuading parents, yes, your child needs to do drama GCSE, isn't that right? <laughs> and, uh, still going, still ongoing. Yeah, it's a battle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. It's a battle, but once that battle ha- or once that battle has been embraced, the results that you get for the well-rounded human beings that we sent out from that lovely little school in the East End of London in Plasto. And uh, I know I'm proud of the work that I did, and, uh, and I'm sure that you are yeah. um, when we both worked there. So what we'll do is we'll move into the first section of our, our conversation, and that is to just to let people listen 
to where the seeds of creativity started in you by asking you to talk about your favourite childhood memories of play. Can you do that for us? Absolutely. I mean, in in context, uh, you know, working class Scottish family and I'm the eldest of three girls. So the other side of that was I had a lot of responsibility. My my mum and dad had lots of different jobs. Um, So, you know, I had to kind of look after my sisters. So when when I had downtime and playtime, which I had a lot, you know, it was two things I loved. I loved TV and I loved being outside and creating. And I, I used to have a bike. And my favourite thing was to get on the bike and pretend the bike was something else. So it was a horse or, you know, it was a, a limousine. And we would spend hours with some of the sort of maybe the local kids. Some my, my sisters, when they were older, just pretending to be other people. So I'd pretend to be Charlie's Angels. We would pretend to often be different types of superheroes or just characters from Dallas or Dynasty. You know, I'm aging myself hugely here. So Google them, folks that are younger. Uh, <laughs> and that's what we would do. And we would just put on these different voices. I mean, a, a lot of play that I would do in the house would involve cutting out characters from little um, catalogs. Remember catalogs? Do. We'd make families and we'd, you know, set them around and do that. Or a little bit with dolls, not so much. I wasn't really a, a doll player, but certainly there was always something where we were creating stories and other worlds that we lived in. And that's the things I remember the most. So I was in Scotland recently. My dad was showing me the garden, but there's a little sort of alleyway down the back. And I was thinking, oh, that's where I put a poster of Starsky up on the wall. And we used to, I used to come back on my bike and then kiss it because it would be on the, you know, sort of the plank of the fence. So I'm home. <laughs> Home. <laughs> yeah. I'm home now from whatever you know crime busting we do you know I think that's why I love crime books I'm <laughs> just obsessed with crime so I didn't kill anyone as a child I wasn't like a child serial killer running around the hillfoots of Clipmaninshire but there was an awful lot of that if it was a bit too rough I wouldn't like you know kids would like swing off ropes into a road I wasn't so keen on that but if, if there was an element of I'm somebody else, or I'm doing this. Yeah, definitely. So that's my best memories. That and and the little families we used to make. It was very, you know, very sweet. Yeah, just good thing about a catalogue because if you accidentally lob the leg off when you're cutting it up, there'll be another picture on the next page. So <laughs> we didn't have a lot, never a lot of money. It was like here's the old catalogue to play with. So yeah, if I can't buy the stuff in it. I'll cut it out and pretend to wear it. You know. <laughs> Oh, blessed. You know, I, I didn't know that about you and Starsky, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all these years. But that's really funny because there's themes already running through that of home, home and family. Yeah. And from what I know you, you are like the biggest nurturer. I mean, you really are the person that would hold things together in, in the department. Do you know what I mean? You, you've got that beautiful heart about you. And that's why I've always been really drawn to you, you know, and why we've got on so well. And uh, and then the other one is the, the pretending, obviously. What's that mean to you? Why did you think you needed to do all the pretend stuff? I think for me, growing up in a small place and having lots of older cousins who had their their lives almost mapped out because you left school at 16 and, and then you worked in the factories or you did an apprenticeship and everything. I really, early on, I didn't want to do that. And I've got a mum who's a prolific reader. She reads all the time. So that's what I did as a kid. Uh, my favorite thing was a library 
card it's just you know i mean if you say that to anybody these days it's insane because there was no mobile phones there was no internet and i think i just got into stories so early on and i just thought oh i want to do something else i don't i don't want to just kind of exist here so yeah i think i think reading and people slag off tv but for me it was just this other way into the world you know and I could see other people and how they lived in different places. My, my life wasn't bad. It's not anything to do with that. It just I always had one eye on the bigger picture, I think. So I suspect that's why I, I wanted to kind of play around and be other people and mm. do. For, I mean, I mean, I don't know if this is the right kind of time to take this in, but I used to do lots of impressions as a kid. I mean, they were shit. But I remember being at family gatherings and doing impressions and people could do your Frank Spencer. <laughs> Google that, everyone. Oh, do your Frank Spencer. I can't do it anymore because my voice <laughs> is too deep. You know, <laughs> all mean, all that nonsense. But um, yeah, you, it was just all this, you know, do, do a family turn. So I used to do impressions and things. So I guess I was always looking to be somebody else, not me, because the other person... I guess would be accepted you know you get a little clap because if you're from a big family mm. you know people are just there's hundreds of cousins kicking about what makes you any more different than the other ones so this spark of being a little entertainer for the rest of your family was really seeded there yeah 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 we used mm. to yeah, just stupid things like we used to put on really silly voices all the time so my poor dad he worked for years in the whiskey industry and then he, when he was made redundant he became a uh, carried on painting and decorating for himself he had his own business and I remember my mum would phone we'd phone up my mum and do silly voices right and then once somebody who actually was a customer phoned up who had a silly voice and my mum was like pack it in Mandy pack it in stop it and of course so it was just stupid stuff like that constant you know ribbing and I guess it's banter now isn't it but except yeah. stupid voices and characters and things so yeah so delicious though so I know I remember all your silly voices I mean I just remember all your stand-up I remember us doing that stand-up comedy course together do you remember it? yeah oh my goodness <laughs> you were very good Vicky you know and that kind of Winchmore Hill Mafia thing you did I think that's got like <laughs> someone said Winchmore Hill to me the other day there and I, I was instantly taken back yeah when I used to live in North London <laughs> well, the thing is we couldn't you know as teachers, we wanted to carry the course on, but we just had too much going on. And probably we probably brought quite a lot to it, ironically, but we just it was too much. We had too much going on. Like try to do our homework on the way in, weren't we? And bits of paper. I do remember in that course that I realized that my content was so specifically acerbic against blokes for for one. I remember that. And I'm like, whoa, that's just so deep and so intense. So good though. <laughs> no, I do, I do I really do like the cat stand-up comedy training. And of course that really, really helps both of us in terms of what we became as teachers. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. And and I'm seeing that seed there that you weren't really afraid at all. In fact, you were empowered by being really seen mm. by the rest of the family for the turns that you were doing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's really clear. And you've carried that on all of your life. You I mean, you are that person in a room. Oh. You definitely are that person in a room. You don't see yourself like that, though, do you? No, I, but no, I don't. And I, I was talking to someone the other day, and I was just saying, you know, we're talking about public speaking, and I said, look, I stand in front of 2,000 people and talk. I don't care. But um, I don't know whether it's – I want them to listen to me. I just – I think I enjoy it. 
I really, really enjoy it. So that's really interesting. I hadn't really thought about it till now when you sort of talked about, well, your childhood play. And of course it completely connects. <laughs> You're a genius. <laughs> it's true though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, man. Oh, gosh, yeah. So, so moving on from that then, you know, um, in this podcast, obviously we look at specific challenges that people have had in their lives and uh, we look at it on the backdrop of what we've just now understood about their childhood and seeds that were planted for them in their own childhood and we move into talking about something that has been quite difficult for you um, to overcome and how you have applied your understanding of creativity in whatever form that is to support that challenge in your own life so I'd really love you to share the challenge that you've um, agreed to share with our audience today? Look, I, 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 I'm quite open about this if people ask me, but I, until today I hadn't really thought about it again. But actually, I think having my own kids and working with kids, I realise how cruel children are. Yeah. So I, I remember being at school and I'm just an average kind of kid. Now, look, we all have kind of currency in life, don't we? And I think for some children, it might be the way that they look. It can be a very positive currency. It's something that they carry and, and they, they, they buy their life with it all. And for me, not, not unattractive, but I was a chub, chubby. I hate that word, but I'm going to use it. I was a chubby kid. And, and I was quite kind of kind and nice. So I was an easy target. And for me at school definitely to kind of counteract the whole fat jokes and and they're awful horrible sometimes you think oh that was really clever if only you would use your your evil work for good because that's quite a funny comment you said about my weight but I am hurt so that's why I thought well I just gotta make people laugh and Mm -hmm. I just remember sort of fighting back at bullies and saying stuff about them and then people laughing at what I was saying and it went against them. And I think the challenges of my body image, because a lot of it's me, um, have, have been really great. And so I, I have overcompensated with either trying to be funny and nice or people pleasing, if you want to use that term, quite a lot in my life to get out of the situations and to make myself feel better and make them feel better I mean I don't know why I care what they feel but I guess part of me is like well if you feel a little bit better about yourself then you're gonna just lay off me Um, I can reason with you um, Mm. but the reasoning I'm using is gonna be making you laugh so I think the challenges of that have have been huge and they're ongoing I, I would say as you've gone through different stages and I'm menopausal now and there's different challenges with that oh yes (laughs) um and I find that having a sense of humor about it and just you know winding my neck in sometimes is what's needed not all the time but some of the time so yeah I would say that it's been a huge factor in my life yeah and and you wanted to talk about how that's moved on into my actual working life as well oh yeah we'll totally move on to that I want to just stay with this for a minute because I want to know what kind what flavor of comedy did you you used to use for that kind of like deflection I guess it was sort of um almost kind of sarcastic but with a smile Mm. um or I would 
preempt everything and just go in and tell silly stories or do silly voices or try and be a character. Again, TV comes into all. I might start talking about something I'd seen on the TV the night before and start reenacting it. That's always a good one to get people talking to you when you're a kid, you know. And if it was something that they'd they'd seen or that I knew that they liked. I, I remember Star Wars coming out. It's, Star Wars isn't funny, so bear with me. Um, and um, <laughs> and then just finding lots of sort of people that I could talk to at school about Star Wars and how much we loved it. And we used to write stories. Now, of course, that's fan fiction now, isn't it? Mm. And um, it's very trendy to be geeky and very Big Bang Theory. But back then... Um, you know, it's not you could watch it a million times. You had to go to the cinema and see it, didn't you? So that was nice to have a little group of people. You find this little tribe that you could talk to about uh, things like Star Wars. And um, I think later things like Kids from Fame. And so I found TV and film a really good way of communicating with people and finding that common ground. Mm. So if, if, if I wasn't, I mean, I think if I was trying to deflect sort of bullying I would um I would just use sarcasm and things like that but as I got older I learned just to try and befriend the bullies maybe mm. I mean now I just would ignore them <laughs> walk away but I guess when you're young and you're in primary school you haven't got that choice have you no at all do you know what's really coming through is that any issues to do with weight and appearance are mm. really, you know, negotiating this whole sense of visibility in the world, aren't they? And how people are seeing you. And you've already rooted in our conversation your ability to stand and be seen and be visible in your family situation and that be an empowering position. So when you move into the world and suddenly you're very visible and people have an opportunity, you know, to use your appearance against you, it's almost like you've actually decided on visibility on your own terms yeah that makes that's exactly it Vicky and I hadn't really thought about it that way obviously yeah. instinctively something yeah. was in there going no you're better than this and you you know you you don't deserve this yeah I mean that's a very empowered place to come from yeah I think so yeah yeah you know and I had um an incredibly lovely family as well so I felt well if I can be loved and accepted there then why can't I be loved and accepted anywhere else you know because I never ever heard anything like that when I was growing up at home at all mm. um, and perhaps you know perhaps the people I was reading about and the things I was watching and I was perhaps looking at stronger role models as I was getting older you know yeah who were your role models when you were younger then I mean I think in my teams it was all stand-up comedy it was the kind of the rise of the comic strip stuff so uh, French and Saunders. Uh, Victoria Wood was a huge influence in my life um, from, from early doors. So, I mean, I just, there's three women. I don't pick them because I'm going to just pick women. That's who I liked. But I also really enjoyed lots of American comics later on. Um, people like Bill Hicks, etc. So stuff that was a bit edgier. But, uh, I mean, when I was really young, I read a lot of Enid Blyton. <laughs> so... <laughs> Take from that what you will, but I, I I just enjoyed all the stories and Nancy Drew stuff as well. Yeah. So mm. I think they were probably, I think I do, I think I remember saying I wanted to be Enid Blyton. Now, you know, I think she's a mad Nazi now, isn't she? She's been outed. So I might have to detract all of that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really want to But Enid Blyton anyway? I probably <laughs> said that when I was about five or six. I'm going to be Enid Blyton. 
yeah so i think i just um perhaps look towards other people and that well what, what would they do yeah and you have mastered that i mean you really have I, I've watched you in front of hundreds, you know, I mean, the whole school was 1600. Yeah. And I've watched you and you just, you stand there with such authority and such warmth at the same time and such masterful skills of connecting with people. You really do. Thank That's you. how I see you. I enjoy, I enjoy it. It's not, I don't, it doesn't terrify me. It, it makes me, um, I don't know, it makes you feel alive, doesn't it? When yeah. you're kind of connecting with other people. Yeah. And it's 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 nice. And it doesn't even it's funny actually, because I was thinking the other day, is it challenging? And it's it's not a bad challenge, it's a nice challenge. Cause I know I can I can get through it and I know it's not going to be awful. Mm. Otherwise I would not be doing it. So for all of this observation of what's outside of you in terms of you know looking at role models and understanding how other people have dealt with situations do you know what I mean and learning yeah. all the skills that you have how much of that have you internalized and understood that that's you too I don't think I have till now <laughs> really well I, I don't know I, I never really think about it so much in terms of I recognize other I recognize my traits in other people or people that I've watched possibly but um I've never really thought about it. That's interesting. Mm. You're good. <laughs> oh, bless you. Look, I mean, look, on the backdrop of all that, we've got to start talking about drama teaching because, you know, if people listening think about um, everything that you've just shared with us mm -hmm. and how you would then turn up in a classroom and be responsible for kids, talk us through what made you want to work with kids I think if I just go back slightly further and I think about what I enjoyed because drama wasn't a subject when I was at school it, it wasn't done you would do it in English so I was very very good at English I was a good writer and I that's how I would start to explore my creativity was through writing so I would create these characters I'd create things and when I left school that's what I was doing I was I was writing but I was doing newspaper journalism which uh, is it's dry it's not that creative side that I wanted to do so I think in terms of drama teaching and being a, a drama specialist that was never really in my head I just knew I wanted to study it because I wanted because I because I thought well I'm, I need to kind of look at what I've always wanted to do and that was to just talk to people and maybe perform but I didn't have much more of an idea really um, and I thought maybe it might be acting. I thought it might be acting. And I was, in the meantime, I was doing lots and lots of different drama groups, working with kids with Down syndrome. I was working with um, kids with dyslexia. I was working at the Edinburgh Acting School doing classes, first of all. And then she asked me for, so Anna Tinline, who's amazing, who ran the Edinburgh Acting School, she said, I think you should teach. And she paid me to do classes and I was doing that all the way through drama school and also at drama school you have to do the teaching element which I loved in fact there was another teacher at uh Lister before us called Odette who was on my course and she we taught at the same time doing the Saturday classes an amazing teacher anyway I had decided that I think I'm just going to teach because I just got such a kick out of it and it came really naturally I didn't like there was lots of stuff when I was at school oh my god I couldn't 
get my head around maths and sciences, anything like that. But this just suddenly, just like, ah. And I watched Anna teach a few times and I got my own ideas. And then I just found my own voice in the classroom. And I just found I could I could be me. Without, I, I think if you go in as a teacher and you put on a persona, it will not last. You will not last the course. It is definitely a marathon, not a sprint. So you have to go in and be yourself. You have to go in. Obviously, you've got to know where you're going to teach and what you, where you want them to be. But also, you've got to have this blank page of lesson plans on the other side that you go, well, actually, what if that doesn't work? What am I going to do? And that's where teaching comes in, because you've got to listen to the kids, look at what they're doing. What do they need? What do they need from you in that hour? And then eventually, as you and I know, as the, the weeks and months go in, you get to know what the kids are like, what their home lives are like, what they're like before they walk in the door. What happens when they leave that door? Because it all impacts everything. The dynamics can shift like that. And you have to be able to work your way through it. And God, you get it wrong so much. Mm. So many times you'll get it wrong with young people. But when it works, it's something magical about it all, you know. And I've laughed. I've, I've, I've done like, remember we used to do rehearsals with the... The device pieces. I remember yeah. with a few kids who I still talk to now, and I remember being in one rehearsal and we couldn't stop laughing, like to the point where you couldn't breathe. And and the creativity that came from them, so they, they blow me away sometimes, you know, and they come back to you with something they've created. You're like, oh my God, where's that come from? Mm. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It really is a beautiful thing. So let's delve deeper into that. This, this yeah. whole... I mean, you're obviously clearly sharing how magical it is for you and for them. I'm also just interested in just what you said is how you've looked all of your life at other people and personas of other people and other characters and living mm. through other characters. But the one thing that you've just said is mm. that when you're a teacher, you can't be a persona. You've got to be you. That's yeah, that's true, actually. Absolutely. And you really do, because I remember when I did my teacher training, somebody said, if you've got a gimmick or whatever, or even the way you look or whatever, whatever can attract them will last you the first five minutes. And after that first five minutes, you've really got to know what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. they know when you're bullshitting, they can yeah. smell it on you. Oh, absolutely. They don't want to do drama. They don't want to do your subject. And we've all had horrific, horrific lessons where the behavior is off the scale. Friday afternoon with year nines. <laughs> what the actual hell? You know, and you just so you yeah, and you've got to know when to just pick your battles and just make sure they're all safe and well, obviously. But sometimes you've got to, kind of retreat slightly and go right let me just look at this situation but it's, yeah they do they they know they know but you know we had the flexibility to do that in our subject because our subject of drama is is life skills a slice of life skills that's mm -hmm. what it is it's about the seeding the foundations of the way that you communicate with yourself the way that you access your own emotional life because you're going to need those resources to be able to bring that through to character, the way that you connect with other people, the way you negotiate your communication skills, 
all of those amazing things that we know stand you in amazing said to be able to be a fully sovereign human being who can speak your truth, who can, you know, um, improvise in situations like you're just talking about, be flexible with your thinking. All of those skills, all of us drama teachers and theatre practitioners know are so useful. But of course, when they come into a drama class like they do on a Friday afternoon, they bring their full life and their full self with them. Absolutely. And they don't take that to a maths lesson or a, or a science lesson. They go and they can either put a lid on it and just do the subject or they can act out in yeah. the lesson and really cause a load of trouble. But when they come into the drama lesson, they know, and I know that we made this um, a priority in our department, is that they know they can come and be their full selves. So mm. when you're witnessing that behavior, they're showing you what they actually need. And we as the practitioners could harness that, couldn't we? And take it in that fluid way to a conclusion where they would actually have some catharsis for what they needed in the moment. Exactly what you're saying. Stand back. Look at what they need. That's what theater practitioners are masters at. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said for that in teacher training in general, I think. Um, I mean, I part of my job has been for a long time is just training teachers and, and working through that. And you can tell when they've worked with someone that's an arts teacher in the broader sense, you know. I, it, it's funny, could people say, oh, can you come and talk to so-and-so whose voice isn't so great in the class? But voice training is not going to help. It's, it's, it's knowing yourself, isn't it? And, and taking control of it all you know I know you did you had complete control I mean you were doing yoga with kids that wouldn't wouldn't take their shoes off for the PE lessons you know what I mean that's insane and you didn't make a big deal of it they just accepted it and they knew that it would be brilliant you know because in other circumstances they wouldn't put up with that you go in and you'd have all these 30 kids really tough boys and girls sometimes doing yoga man that's insane <laughs> It's insane. Well, we had to have our methods, didn't we? We had to have our stealth ways in to the personas that they were coming with. Because we're yeah. talking about East End kids, aren't we? Who are yeah. coming from, you know, seriously challenging backgrounds, a lot of them, um, who've definitely got a reputation to uphold. I mean, the gang culture in East London is very prominent, wasn't it, in the school that we worked in? You know, yeah. the, the trickles through of what was going on in the outer society. And, um, you know, all the different cultures. We worked in a school that had 56 different first languages. That's right, yeah. Didn't we? And it was Newham yeah. and it had, um, gosh, it was the free school meal percentage was massive. It was like one of the most challenging boroughs to work in in the country. That's right. And yet you and me both love that rawness of humanity that because we can harness it and we can channel it. And we can show them through the theatre process that the nothing is wrong with them and all of them is welcome and that they can find the gold within themselves and do miraculous things. And we have seen over the years, haven't we, miraculous things come out of people in the drama studio. I mean, I, if you look at it from a, a professional point of view, as in going into the profession, there's a huge percentage of kids from that school yeah. who are now working in the profession in some way. I mean, if you look at the marvellous Heather Cook, who you have to get on here. I will, obviously. Those, <laughs> but those boys that she took, so Heather was a, a, is still an amazing dance teacher, and she took these boys who, to their own admissions, would say would have ended up in jail. And yes. they're, running their own, they're running their own 
dance companies the yeah. is like one of them is obviously i think working with the royal college of dance at the moment or sadler's wells yes um uh you know and then then there's the acting side like you know lola's doing her harry potter renu's working really hard in her anyway hope they don't all mind. of our lovely names that we remember but you're right yeah they're all but and then but the other side of that though is the amount of kids that contact me and they ask about you and blah 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 who are using theatre just in their lives or go and see theatre or just went, God, those lessons were such a godsend to me. I can't listen to Fast Car now without thinking of you and Miss Parker. <laughs> Miss Parker. Parker. Anyone that's listening was a um, scheme of work we did on the Tracy Chapman song. Anyway, it was very good. You had to be there. But uh, yeah, you know, and, and that's, isn't that great? That, oh, you know, you do your training and then years later people are saying, oh, that, I remember that and that was great and you know no one goes I, I don't do you remember the time when so-and-so threw a chair luckily that doesn't come up so much <laughs> there was that lots of chair throwing though that boy threw a hammer through the bathroom I did <laughs> and I won't mention her name because she's 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 changing them but she was amazing and she sort of wrestled them to the ground anyway like well I di- I digress but yes you know it's it's quite it's quite incredible if you think back on it all. So let's talk actually why some of the drama curriculum is so well remembered by people. The one the stuff that we created, um, because like you said, that fast car song would take a stimulus like a song, and we'd yeah. really really dive deeply into it and understand the lyrics and act out all sorts of beautiful different kind of permutations of the meaning and get inside the skin of the characters and all of those things. Um, I know I've talked about this on on the podcast before about using other people's voices to be able to identify with your own inner voice. And that particular year nine scheme is really one of them, isn't it? About um, understanding what your dreams are and how you can escape your current reality if you uh, are not satisfied with it. I think it's it's a really safe way to do it as well, because you can engage as much or as little as you want into that as well so you can you you commit what you can give on the day and I think when you have kids that do commit the I think it brings everyone else's game up they're like oh they're getting so much out of this and I guess for particularly I'm going to say boys I might be being slightly sexist but there was an idea that perhaps drama wasn't very cool it was a muck about lesson so we had to be very very clear yeah about what we were teaching yeah like Sometimes it would be down to tiny little details of what we were going to do in the class. And then we would use our own spin on it, wouldn't we? But it had to be like that because there had to be some sort of meaning to it. Yeah. And it, there's an idea that you go in in the drama that you do is meaningless. And it's just, it's, you know, what I used to say to the kids, this is not a GCSE and kicking each other up the bum. <laughs> you know, this is not an excuse for you to run around and uh, just be mindless. But if you do... We've got something you can do with that. You know, you can do this game and that's you can be mindless, but there's a little bit of structure there and there's going to be an outcome. You're going to go, ah, oh, now I know why I did that. Yeah. Uh, so we were quite careful about the, the work that we picked, yeah. um, you know, and then then there was the other stuff around, like, you know, the, the Shakespeare theatre stuff that you did, the festival, the, the plays we put on, the, the absurdist play that you did. So for, for kids that wanted to kind of expand and become part of a theatre company, yeah there was other stuff that they could do and mm-hmm. then as, as time went on the facilities got better so if your facilities are nicer you feel like you are uh, appreciated and what you do as a, as a student 
mm. has some sort of um, gravitas. Oh, look, they've put really nice theatre space in for me and the nice lights. And, and actually, we were really blessed like that, weren't we? Because in from the nine years that I worked at Lister, eight of those years were supported by performing arts status. Yeah, so we were all part of writing those bids to really make the case for arts in that community and in that school. And we got all of that funding. And you're right. We had great drama studio uh, um, and the little black box room, which I used to love. And we had the recording studio in the music department and we had the yeah. new dance studio. And you're right. It actually presented with a status, didn't it? The facilities that we had. And um I know I've been to other schools and drama teaching has been resigned to the basement. Yeah. In yeah. a little dark, dingy yeah. room. And then they expect you to come out with some amazing performance, which you always do because that's the core of who you are anyway. But yeah. And I, but I think that level of um, access to fantastic facilities, specifically in a little East End secondary school in the middle of a council estate in Plasto was a very, very different experience for them. And so I think they did, they did step up to that. You know, Vicky, I, I've, I've thought about this a lot over the years. I've examined and gone out and seen uh, different schools and different facilities. And what really makes me angry is that working class kids don't have the same facilities as a private school. So yeah. I know you pay for a private school, you expect amazing facilities. So my daughter did some ballet stuff recently, la-di-da, uh, in a school that has their own technician and their own department. And I thought, and the and the work that kids do is good, but there's no kind of heart to it. And actually, we should be providing that in yeah. some way for every single school should have access to that. Mm. Can you imagine the amazing work that would come out? And also, they would learn so much about the profession. You know, that whole thing where you give the naughty boy the technical stuff to do, so painting and et cetera. But if they had proper stuff to work with and technicians, oh, my God, we could because there's a shortage of technicians in, in stage management, as it is, particularly for women, you know. So if we can encourage them, if we had really brilliant stage technicians came in who happened to be women or working class boys or, you know, or, or, or boys from an ethnic minority. I'm going to use that with the little finger thing. Speech marks. Promise. Speech marks, thank you. <laughs> you had, you know, which a lot of theatres now are in East London are doing. So one of my jobs is I try and get the kids out to meet people that work and they can go, look, I went to school in the corner of you and now a two of the world ticking. Oh, my God. And also, you've got to be really creative in technical theatre. This is how you do it. Yeah. Brilliant. And so it's a bugbear of mine that there's not enough facilities. And I think everyone, I think every kid should get to see theatre or anything live, every single yes. kid. Yeah. Because if you're in a private school, you get to do it all the time. They put you in a coach and you go there. I liked what you just said, though, about the heart of it. You have to get that they didn't have heart in some of those other schools. Mm. And one thing that I do remember about Lister is that the drama department was like the heart of the school. Yeah. And all of the kids who had any kind of issues and some had some really deep stuff going on, like serious challenges in their lives, they would come to us and we were like the counselling department. We were the unofficial counselling department, weren't we? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was a safe place for them because they knew that 
not only through the curriculum that we were teaching did they have space to express themselves really authentically and to experience that catharsis of knowing that they could harness their own emotional response and really go for it. But they knew that we weren't afraid to do that either because both you and I and the other members of the drama department at the time were also really expressive, really unafraid, really unafraid to try to do exactly what we were asking them to do. And just like you were talking about before, about doing all the silly voices and acting the goat and playing different characters, we were like that as a team. (laughs) We were like that as a department. So there was no personas going on there. That is who we were. And that authenticity of expression was what they were also seeing as role modeling. And it gave them full permission to be in full expression for themselves. So can, can we talk about that? about being in full expression as a teenager and why that's so needed? First of all, I think it's funny you were saying about the different departments and and who people go to. And it's interesting when kids leave, when you see who they've kind of, who they go and talk to about their experiences. Certainly most arts teachers, so art, drama, music, et cetera, dance, you know, they they end up being sort of unofficial mothers or big sisters, et cetera. And you do see that them loitering around the spaces a lot at lunchtimes and at break times and after school and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, so I think to answer that question, I, I don't, I don't remember being listened to when I was a teenager for a long time until I started to get into writing more and I had the most amazing English teachers. And I think that's always stuck in my mind. So when a teenager comes to me, I try and think about what I was like then. I mean, obviously we're not all the same because it was important for me to be able to express myself somehow. I don't know if I'm answering your question fully. No, you are, because that's what I'm, that's what I want to get to the nitty gritty of. Is yeah. that, um, you know, we're living now in a world where teenagers have a very, very different experience of life. And particularly with the whole social media phenomenon and creating persona and creating avatar as your real life experience of what you want people to think you are. But that's so far from what you would be doing in the drama classroom. And I think that it's even more important now to be having that experience so that you get that sense of rootedness of your real self. And and yeah, the, and I don't think they, they even can approach. I mean, for for a generation who take pictures all the time of themselves, it's so sort of superficial and yeah. manipulative. If that's the word I'm looking yeah. for. Yeah, they can manipulate what you look like. Yeah, using a filter. Yes. When I talk to people who are in pastoral care, so heads of year, almost all of them will say the biggest issue is social media. And I think you and I talked about this before. I can almost pinpoint when problems started in school, and that's when cameras were on phones and and they started to record things on a phone and good things and often very, very bad things. Rather than be able to talk about it or come into a lesson and, and do something around that, they, they, they just, they could relive that moment and somebody else's pain over and over again on a phone, you know? But, and, and talking to... Yeah, I mean, my daughter starts secondary school and we got a big thing through about what to look out for in September and social media was at the top. Hence why she doesn't have any. Well, she's not that interested anyway. But, you know, it's it's a huge, huge part of yeah. who we are. And, we, and we, we all do it as adults on Instagram. and. But we are from a generation that were born in the 60s 
correct or or early 70s it's the same age as me i'm 69 baby are you 69 i'm 68 68, so we were from that generation where um we didn't have that social media so we've got those foundational roots in having to actually communicate with each other yeah 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 you'd just go around someone else wouldn't you go out to play and you'd spend hours and hours and hours doing exactly what you did exactly what i did pretending making up worlds making up stories now you've moved and, and we approach social media um, with that foundational understanding of how to actually communicate. Yeah. But they're approaching social media without that foundational understanding because it's That's been right. their whole life. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. It's just got a lot to answer for that. I think fundamentally kids are kids, but they're very different now. I mean, and lockdown has just changed it all again, completely changed it all again. And the kids have come back in and they seem younger somehow. But, and then older. <laughs> it's very weird. Really? Ooh, yeah. Well, tell us more about that. I, I think that they because they've got themselves involved in more social media and perhaps seen things that are maybe a bit too old for them, but they've done it all while being kind of model, molly coddled at home and not allowed to go anywhere and do anything and see anybody. And I mean, I think a lot, you know, talking about our childhood, I wasn't allowed on the phone before seven o'clock in the evening because it was too expensive. So if you couldn't go and see anybody, but then if you talk to anybody now, if somebody's phone rings, how many times does someone pick it up and say hello and have a conversation? They don't. So if you take someone into a drama lesson and you go, right, you've got to talk to that person there for five minutes about, I don't know, how you got to school. Yeah. And then I want you to tell me what they just said and repeat yeah. it. They really struggle because yeah. they're going to listen to somebody else. And they can see their face. <laughs> you know, it's such a lie. So that we've got, I think, Vic, we've gone back to basic life skills. Yeah. That's what it's done. We've had to go back to basic. These two human beings are going to talk to each other and interact. Woo! <laughs> I know, I know. And this is a lesson in it. And, and it is. Drama is a lesson in that. It's real life. It's real people. It's real conversation. It's real... It's real time in the moment um, observation of somebody's emotions, of their behavior, of their physicality, all of the cues that you need to learn to understand the nonverbal cues about other people and, and, and what they actually mean, even if their words are not matching their actions. All of these are really, really important things for you to be able yeah. to know yeah. who you are yeah. Yeah. in the world and understand what people are yeah. doing. And work out how to work out your differences with somebody that doesn't involve going home at night and slagging them off on social media, which is what they do. Look, if we were at school, when I was at school, all the kind of bullying and stuff I got, it finished at 3.30, right? I go home and that's it. And I might kick off again at nine the next day or whatever. However, if you've got a mobile phone and you're 14, 13, 12, that can be sitting next to you spewing insults at you all night long. And that's and people don't say, actually, I have an issue with you anymore. They'll, they'll wait till they go home and then set up a page about you or say horrible things. And uh, that so that that skill of kind of talking it out with somebody's gone. It's just gone. So how do you see the future of the subject of theatre then in schools now going forward? I think oh, from a political point of view, I'm really worried about how the present government's going to look at the arts and, and cuts in arts and cuts in further education arts. A lot of degrees are being cut now. Yeah, I know Hampton's losing um, their drama course, which is an amazing course. I think we've just got to 
we've got to keep creating the, the theatre makers of the future. Um, and we've got to get people watching more stuff. We've got to bring ticket prices down, unfortunately, or have, have more deals because, you know, we can't, kids can't afford 40 quid to go and sit at the very back of yeah. the Lion King. Not that I'd go and see the Lion King. Um, I think we have to create more courses, uh, more opportunities. And I think money's a huge part of it all. It's never going to go away, though. Mm. And if we've got amazing head teachers, my head teacher's fantastic with the arts. Just, and I've worked with lots of brilliant senior management who want it to run. But they have to, you know, support, keep supporting the, the people in the schools. That's why I stay where I am, because it's yes. so supported. I'm so, yeah. so lucky. But everybody needs to, you know, whatever your subject is, and I think we've got to stop thinking about it being a non-academic light subject as well. You know, yeah. it's an easy option, soft option. That's the word, isn't it? Oh, yeah, me. it's so not a soft option. <laughs> it's not. I remember actually somebody from the science department coming to watch a drama rehearsal and the depth to which we explored the emotions of a character and how we created their monologue. It was somebody's monologue for an, for a, an audition. And they were so blown away by how masterful you have to be to get the nuance right, the subtleties right, all of those nonverbal things right in a character that are all underneath the surface of the narrative that's been spoken. I mean, it's an absolute delicate art. I mean, we know that. Well, I think think one of your skills as well, it's just occurred to me, um, would you never underestimate a kid? So you always raise the bar high I mean not unreachable and you just kept lifting that up so there was no glass ceiling for them so that stuff you're describing is is, that's degree level actually and sometimes yeah that rehearsal that you would do with them then the work would be equally as mesmerizing and and in depth as the work you were putting in the rehearsal room and I think we've got to realize that kids are capable of much more than you you know think so in its simplicity then let's just talk about that moment when you're in a drama lesson because I know that there might be a lot of people listening um the same as when we talk about any kind of creative subject who think to themselves oh that's not my zone of genius I'm not creative in that way you know or I'm not an artist we've had that conversation many times that people have been told that they weren't an artist when they were in school but when you mention drama a lot of people still say to me oh god I hated drama at school Mm. No, that's the worst possible thing that you could have asked me to do was to stand up and speak in front of people. Could you just let or let's just talk about this. What's the simplest. The simplest essence of what it means to be in a drama lesson and how that empowers you, whether that be silently or overtly, you know, let's let's talk about that, because I think that I want to dispel those myths that you yeah. have to get up on a musical theatre stage, you know, and be the big, be the big lead character, because that's not what we've talked about industry here. We've talked about the politics of it all. Um, but what we haven't talked about is the is the personal growth aspect of it in its simplest term. I always say to students, I say, I'm not going to set your homework. I just want you to be in this room for an hour with me and enjoy it and do what you can. I would never, ever, ever say to a kid, stand up and do it. And in fact, 
very often they don't do that for a long time and they can pick and choose when they want to do it. Obviously, as you get into it a bit more, then perhaps, you know, you're going to have to be a little bit brave and say something. But I try to treat them all the same at the beginning. Uh, I try and make it fun, which sounds so wanky, but I think you just need to have something that's a bit enjoyable and you can kind of play. And we know that using play is the best way in, it's the best way to learn in many aspects. And if you're not really someone that can play so much, then I try and find games and activities that will suit everybody. We try and do some sort of problem solving. You get the, you get the feel of a group quite quickly, don't you? Yeah. Are they competitive? Right, I'm going to play that game where you have to get into a row of, you know, in your height order and everything. Or, you know, oh, they've got a lot of energy, right? We're going to do a running around game or, you know, oh, they're, they're quite clever. So we're going to do that game when you say, I, when I say stop, you start. When you say start, you stop. And and then praising, I could see you were trying there. Let's try this. And it's just that general coaxing. Then when you get to know a group, I, I usually let kids pick their own groups sometimes because they want to work with their friends. And then we try and shake it up a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Then within that, then they might have more confidence to go, I'd like to do this line when we do this little performance i always go this is a work in progress you will make mistakes there are no wrong answers it's just reminding them that i'm not there to judge them Mm. i'm not there to uh get them to write something up at the end i just want to to see what happens and then we slowly start to build in stuff around um feedback and all that kind of stuff because at the end of the day you know i've still got to follow a curriculum but the stuff that I've enjoyed doing in the past and I put in, but I, I, I write lessons all the time. I write new schemes a lot because um, I want to challenge myself a little bit and, and make it interesting. And then they'll probably get the better side of me as well. If I'm not just trolling out the same old. And I know why people hate a drama. I knew people that would, they said to me, yeah, he would just give us a play and we'd have to read it. And then, then we'd pack up I'm like what lazy arsed nonsense is this? Yeah. I mean, mean, we used to do that. Remember, on the last day of term or the last lesson of term, we would do the foam app. Yeah. Remember foam app? Yeah. yeah. Make a play. (laughs) I I can thank Danny Lockwood for that years ago. (laughs) If you're really tired, because the pace is so hard. Yeah. Off make foam app. Yeah. And they really love that. But they really love that because they already had loads and loads of skills that we taught them and I mean you're talking quite humbly about just playing games and uh, you know groups getting to know each other and talking talking and working with their friends all of those in themselves are worth a whole essay a whole lesson you know this the the you know the delicacies of the human interaction and what happens when the group process breaks down and the uh, you know United Nations level mediation skills that you need to have as a teacher and as a group leader. Do you know what I mean? To make things work. So you're in this constant process of identifying who can lead, who is a great follower, who is somebody that wants to divide the process, you know, and you can go really into those roles and address them overtly because that's what the drama allows you to do, doesn't it? It allows you to be able to witness yourself in that kind of social process which I think is what is its fundamental personal growth aspect for me and understanding the psychology of something from a perspective of a a different character as well. You know, all of these things are completely fundamental for just being a human being, I think. I think 
definitely if you're talking about the the, the deeper aspect of creating characters um etc etc none of that will work if you've got beef with someone in the room <laughs> so none of that all that amazing stuff you can do if they feel they can't stand up in front of other people with this beautiful bit of work they've done and then we need to look at well everybody else's audience's skills and how you know how you're making somebody else feel yeah. so it's that accountability isn't it yes. everything you do is has what's the word i'm looking for consequences consequences yeah. thank you yeah they have it has a consequence and, and actually that person tried really hard and stood up there and you laughed at them you and it's the consequence it. in real time as well yeah which absolutely is what saying is the opposite to the social media yeah absolutely exactly got all those keyboard warriors who just yeah. like go yeah. off on one with their trolling and their commenting yeah. and feel like they're invincible and invisible but you can't you cannot do that if you are no. sitting in a live audience and you are being um, asked to respond in a constructive way you've got to really think on your feet and know yourself to be able to do that well absolutely and yeah. actually it's a real learning curve for a lot of young people yeah um, and it's quite humbling for them too. And actually, you know, victim blaming and all that stuff that happens on social media is out the window because the victim's standing there and everyone's just watched what you did. Yeah. And my job's to point out and go, what you just did now was not acceptable at all. Mm -hmm. And then you got a little bit of work um, because it's so uh, immediate and live. That's why I keep exactly. saying you need to go and see live stuff. So if yeah. you're, you know, if you're not like we, I do lots and lots of stuff with the old Vic and, and, uh, we used to take the phones off the students and now because of COVID they don't, but I'm really pleased that the amount that don't bother with the phone because I'm like, you don't, this is an hour and a half or whatever, where you are not on your phone. You're not talking, you are immersed in this. And that is scary for them. Yeah. If you watch something you don't like on telly, you can pause it. You can scroll through your phone. You can go to the toilet. You can't do that in the theatre. You've got to sit and face that. Yeah. Whether you like it or not. And we get some really powerful emotions. Kids properly crying when they see theatre for the first time, which is one of my joys when you look yeah. down and you look, and you and I have been on thousands of school trips and you look down the, the row when the lights go down and the, oh my God, it's it's humbling and beautiful. The faces, their eyes. Oh just my like, God. Oh. We, we did a thing with Hamilton recently. They do a, a student's um, show. So it's all students in the school and we were really close to the front and it went off like a frog in a sock. I mean, they were losing their minds. It was amazing. And there's that line when they say immigrants get things done. And of course, most of the kids are immigrant families. I'm like, yes, we do. <laughs> we feel heard at last. And they were like, we're going to go and see that again. You don't do that. We don't shout in Netflix. Yes, I feel heard Netflix. You might go, uh, I might fast forward this bit. You can't. It's in your face. Yeah. And that's, I think, that's what being in the room's like, isn't it? Yeah. It's in your face. You're going to get an immediate reaction. You're going to feel good or maybe, oh, I could have tried harder or whatever. Yeah. Straight away. Yeah. And that is what, and I'm, I know that, forgive the pun, but that is the character building for yourself as a human going forward into your life. Because if you go into a workplace, you know, you're going to have that sense of immediacy in a boardroom or in a staff meeting. And you can't escape, you know, being in front of a boss. Do you know what I mean? You can't escape these things or even you can't escape the um, 
um, what it would even mean to be working on your own because you're going to have to have clients if you want to be in an entrepreneurial space. You've got to know what it means to have clear communication with other people and to take responsibility for your actions and to be able to watch with a compassionate self for other people's actions. Because as we both know, you know, and we won't go into it here, but as we both know, there's bullying in the kids and there's bullying in the staff. Oh, in any institution that you could want to work with. And what I know that I've seen as I've gone from job to job um, before I you know, became completely self-employed is that I am watching play out the same scenarios, unresolved scenarios and dynamics, power dynamics that I saw when I was in the playground. You know, yeah. that I saw when I watched teenagers try and work out their squabbles and didn't actually have a space to be able to do that to its full resolution. And then those people move straight into the workplace and then do the same again. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I think probably the hierarchies of schools allow that yeah. uh, to happen. Yeah. And it's a shame, you know, mm. and it, it destroys people, it destroys people, the, the creativity, um, you, yourself worth is wrapped up in your job often isn't it and I think because teaching is so in your face all the time it just you can't distinguish it and then you have to try and kind of separate it out and that's that's really hard you know so I mean I'm I'm glad I'm not marking thousands of books that's all I have to say really yeah no I mean to be honest with you I mean I, I did the drama teaching for the first nine years of my 16 years teaching and the last seven were primary and I did a yeah. lot of you know as you know did a lot of drama and artwork like a massive amount more than other teachers in my primary classroom because that's my mode of expression and my mode of teaching that's you know right. what I mean but um I was so grateful for the drama curriculum as a teacher because of the freedom that we got, even within the teaching profession. Yeah. Because yeah. we were the ones that wrote our own curriculum. It's the only subject in the national curriculum that right. doesn't have a specified key stage three curriculum. Thank God. Thank God. And it's still the same, isn't it? Can you imagine the horror dryness? Oh, can you imagine? I wouldn't, I wouldn't have lasted. I wouldn't have been. Yeah. I mean, look, we need to structure. You need to kind of know where you're going. You've got to follow it all. I get all of that. And I do all that and I do it really well. But yeah, it's got it's got to have some sort of heart to it. Yeah. And you've got to be able to um also you've got to move with the times with it all, you know, and it's it's one of the subjects where you you do talk about things that are happening around you. So you kind of have to kind of be down with the kids. <laughs> I, I think we did really well at being down with the kids. Well, actually. I just need to know what they, what makes them tick a little bit. Yeah. Because uh, if I start referencing things that are out of their um, social knowledge, yeah. <laughs> it's just it just kind of uh, weakens what's happening as well. But yeah, but th- that's kind of kept me young. Uh, yeah. Definitely. It's kept me uh, feeling a bit more vibrant because I'm sort of forced into it, <laughs> really. So do you know what? Let's just talk about this then um, in, a, in a, a two-pronged way. Yeah. One would be about what you might say to teenagers now or parents of teenagers now who might come across this podcast um, in terms of why they could use or should really think about taking drama or valuing the drama that they have in their school. And then the second question would be, what would you say to people who might want to start using theatre for themselves out of an educational context? So the first one then, for teenagers or parents of teenagers now, put your teacher head of of department hat, you know, and say, 
why are you going to advocate for taking drama as a subject? Look, there's lots of reasons around, uh, particularly the, the, the drama teachers that I've met and know and I meet lots of drama teachers are amazing. They are committed, clever, kind, very dedicated, constantly. I do courses all the time. They, it's the same people there wanting to learn, learn as much as the kids. I think if you leave school and you haven't done big range of subjects, you will regret it. Because as soon as you leave school, everything has a money value. If you want to go away and, and study something else, someone's going to actually charge you for it. So just take that opportunity in school to do the drama. But do the drama because it will really help you in every other subject. I mean, studies have shown that students that have taken on an art subject will do better in their other subjects, in their core subject, maths, English, science. It helps you with your thinking. It helps you with your creativity. And you and I know that that's, that's the commodity people want. They want you to be creative. They want you to be creative. You know, you can get a million people that are brilliant at maths, but you want that one or two that can just be creative. And I know maths is a creative subject. I get that. But you're not going to have that almost kind of freedom of a for drama room anywhere else. Um, and, you know, let try you might actually love it you know you might really want to kind of carry on you might just discover something about yourself but yeah, take, take take on tune to all you can I think that's what that's what I would say as well when I was um at those year nine options evenings um is that it's about discovering about yourself because definitely taking drama GCSE in a school or drama a level is not about you wanting to become an actor mm-hmm it's about you becoming a multidimensional human being. I think I might at times put in and say, but what will it get them? What will a GCSE get yeah. them? What will any GCSE get you? Yeah, that's so true. true. Just it's the next bit. It's just get it in something that you enjoy. Yeah. Do something that makes your heart sing and that you look for. You go, oh, good. I've got this subject next. Oh, yeah. You know, and it, honestly, guys, it doesn't matter. It's just the next key you know, no one's, no one in medical school is going to go, hang on a minute. You can't be a doctor because you did drama. Actually, the amount of doctors I know that have studied A-level drama, GCSE drama, it's a huge amount, or art, or art and design, you know. There has to be a balance in your life, doesn't there? I mean, we're oh. going to be advocating for the arts all the way, obviously, and that's the reason why this podcast exists. Yeah. Because to art yourself alive is to find all of those layers of yourself that make you completely you know the person that you are you're not an automaton you don't need to just be in a job for 40 years and do the same thing and have never discovered you know the subtleties of yourself or the joy within yourself or all the colors of yourself that's why I advocate for it yes it has an immensely healing and therapeutic aspect to it if you use it in a conscious way like I've been doing you know with the integrative art psychotherapy and the work that I do but it's simplest essence those seeds start when you're in education because the kids and the teenagers of of this generation and many generations past and to come have had to have that experience of forced knowledge from a curriculum a a curriculum that I don't agree with which is why I'm not a teacher anymore Uh. do you know what I mean and which is why I'm definitely not a primary school teacher anymore because that sense of forcedness and levels and you know comparison with other people on artificial you know criteria 
for me is not what it means to be human. So if we're going to talk about taking GCSE drama or even just committing to your key stage three drama or any art subject in your school curriculum, that's what it's about. It's about being fully you. Because if you don't have that poetic aspect to life or that, you know, that opportunity for catharsis in a way that has no words, you're missing, you're missing something. And further on down the line, you will wonder why you're a hollow shell. You might have a lot of money, but what else will you have? No, exactly. And, you know, I, I often think about what it would have been like for me to have drama when I was at school, because Again, there's that idea that you have drama in school just to put on plays. So they would put on plays and it would just very, very rarely in my school. And it would just be, you know, the kind of mouthy kids and the quieter kids or the more insecure kids didn't get heard or seen. And actually being heard and being seen is a huge thing. And and down the line, when you're saying about the hollowness and the kind of lack of something in your life, that's because you just haven't felt like anybody's listened to you. Or, yeah. you know so having an actual physical lesson where you're forced to go in and do it and I say forced because sometimes it, for some kids it does feel like that yeah I think it's important actually and it's not just because you're going to do Gregory Girl in, in year one you know yeah. you might get to walk on the stage and walk off but the big the big loud kids in the playground are the ones on the stage just hamming it up and funnily enough the big loud kids in the playground they'll come in and think that they're like a shoe-in you know, for their, uh, for getting the lead roles. That's right. But, um, they're the ones that don't have a sense of a secure core sense of themselves because oh, it's no. all bravado. And when oh, you actually put them in an ensemble situation where nobody is the lead, they really have to learn to come from within themselves. I think this might go into the next part, but that idea that parents are saying, well, it will help with their confidence. Um, yeah, I think so. I think it can do, but you have to go through a process with it yeah. and you have to trust the process. Yeah. Um, and I don't think confidence can be learned. It's not It's not something you can just pick up a book and learn it. You have to kind of go through it all. So it's, it undulates. I've got, I've got an 11-year-old who is autistic and she has been doing drama for years, not because I made her, because her brother didn't want to do it, Yes, in fact, I remember asking her. She's never seen you as a drama teacher. She has no no idea of your expertise in that area. But for her, and she's dyslexic, she has found drama because she just does clubs. She's been doing lots of clubs. And um, because she can learn scripts really quickly because she can't read them and things like that. And and I I see a little bit of me in in that kind of playfulness that she does and the, the playing around that she does. But with the autism... I think that the dramas really helped her because she doesn't try and mask it when she's in a lesson. Because obviously with girls, they they try and copy and they they just do what you, they think you want them to do. So we've had loads and loads of kids with different different needs. Yeah. You know, we had two deaf students had the first ever A, A grades in the country for anything, you know. Yeah. And that that was a learning process for the other students. Yeah. Because we made them learn what it was like to be deaf and to learn British Sign Language. We made them get on their level. So it's that levels of participation. We've had kids in wheelchairs. We've yeah. had kids with stammers. We've had kids that couldn't speak any English. Yeah. Because then yeah. doesn't matter. It does not matter. And you find a way through it. Yeah. You find and a way through it. 
that is one of the memories I have of Lister School is that the, the diversity in that school of not only cultural, but disability um, diversity. Oh, my goodness. The amount of stuff that we had to do in order to make that an inclusive space. Try, yeah. And yet the simplicity of it, because the drama can hold all of that, because you can just be exactly who you are and the narrative can go in the direction that the collective takes it. Yeah. It just yeah. is what it is. Yeah. And how beautiful is that experience for all of those teenagers that they can just be exactly who they are. And like you say, go on to really great achievements with getting, you know, A's and A stars in, in drama. We had a fantastic reputation for A's and A stars, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. Really fantastic. You were asking me about when you have left school and you're fleeing. Yes, absolutely. Let's right. move into that. For people listening are thinking, do you know, I might have always wanted to act or I, I don't want to be a star. I just want to know what it means to kind of like be in a rehearsal or do a show or, you know, something like that. What would you say to them? How would they get into that? I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of lots of, there's lots of really good community theatre around. Um, it's always worth having a little look. And I'm not suggesting go and join Amateur Dramatics and do a show, but you can. But there's so many amazing courses you can do as well. You know, I know City Lit and a few other places do them. Yeah. Um, I know the old Vic always do lots and lots of community stuff as well. Just look around where you are, see if there's any groups, mm. see what's happening and just go along and see if you like them. Again, there's sometimes that you have to look at the dynamics, etc. But I, I would definitely, and, and also go and see lots of theatre. <laughs> Just go and watch some live stuff and get a little feel for that. And it's such a lovely experience. I mean, sometimes it's terrible, but then you'll know. You'll become very discerning the more yes, you watch. you will. You Kids will. do that. They get really discerning after a couple. They go, oh, and they can talk about it. And you go, yes, correct. You know, but I, I didn't tell them that. They, they've they done that because they've done the hard work of sat, yeah. sitting through a piece of live theatre. So go and see some stuff. Check out some courses nearby. And if you like amateur dramatics, it's a great way of learning, you know, because you, you, you do start at the bottom. <laughs> you have your kind of shining lights, but then you, you might decide there's technical stuff. But there's lots and lots of stuff out there. You've got to do a little bit of Googling. But definitely go and see some stuff. And it would be the same sure. skills that you will learn as you would have learned in a drama lesson, because yes. it's always going to be about how you respond in a group, how you communicate with your with, with the other people, how much awareness you have of yourself. I mean, there's nothing like becoming a character for having learning personal awareness. Such honestly. It's yeah. nothing like doing like run around you games when you're 45 as well and uh, you just comes out you go you know you've, <laughs> i've been in lots and lots of cpds and you just <laughs> you're like that that person's gonna take me out in a minute <laughs> I just run <laughs> that's true that's why i start this interview with that inner child memories of play because yeah. those seeds are still in there with everybody and if you're really looking for a way to unleash you know, that wild inner childness of yourself, then go to something theatre related, go to a drama group, because you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm 53 now and I cannot still get enough, you know, of running around playing tag or, you know, playing that bloody stop start game. Oh, my God. The amount of fun I have. But it is. It's that and is it is it's that frustration and we don't play, you know, we don't do board games or anything much anymore. I mean, I might be wrong. Most people yeah. are on the phones. And that thing when you were a kid and we used to play Monopoly and my sister would lose a rag and throw the whole thing. But uh, <laughs> sorry, Sarah, she's very competitive, but she's very good at it. Yeah, just being able to, yeah, all of that's gone. It's a shame, really. 
Yeah, well, I think that's what we need. And I, and I know that the, the places where I do my work now and the festivals that I work at just finished working at All About Love Festival in the kids theatre tent. And it's like, yeah, the amount of adults that came in with their kids to watch the master storyteller that was at work and, you know, all a, a story that reaches all levels, you know, yeah. adult and children where that where they really have got their skills down. It never gets old. It's always fun. And I think that that's what we definitely need to remember to play. So you said stories there, and I was going to say that earlier. And that's the thing about drama, isn't it? It's telling yes. stories yes. and it leads into the whole being listened to yeah. and letting you know that you're only a small, tiny part of a huge world with everyone's yes. stories. And, and using stories as a stimulus in drama is so important. And then it leads to them telling their own stories. It's why we get a lot of kids come out and going, do you know that thing we talked about in drama? Well, that's happened to me or, you know, yeah. I know something about that. It's so storytelling it's a huge huge thread yeah helps you with your identity and definitely that feeling seen and heard well listen my darling oh my goodness we've gone on longer than I normally do but it's such a pleasure to talk to you and uh, I mean for nine years I had you on a daily diet I'm so lucky (laughs) (laughs) you had me obviously Uh, but there we are And, and I'm so blessed to be your friend And I'm so blessed that you wanted to share, you know, this expert knowledge that you've got. And even in this conversation, it's just comes across so beautifully how humble and committed you are. I mean, 31 years of working with kids and giving them the seeds that they needed to grow in their hearts and their selves and their personalities. It's it's a mammoth task. It's a massive achievement. I do love it. You know, you love it. I mean, I can't get up and down off the floor as much now. No, no. <laughs> I have to sort of do this thing and I sort of roll into the corner and then just kind of have a chair waiting for me. Do you remember we used to be on those chairs with like the wheels on them? I just wheel myself in the yes. cup of tea. It's just got worse now. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we are still making magic wherever we are. Thank you. You know, and, you know, if any of the kids that we used to teach ever hear this, What an absolute blessing that would be, because I know the memories that I took away from adding something to their lives are absolutely gorgeous. And you're still ongoing and doing that. And um, they taught me as much as I taught them. And that's what the drama space is about, because everybody is equal in it. You all start and end in a circle. That was always so important to me. And as I've moved into, you know, working in, in the way that I do now, the circle, the unity, the shared experience, the shared collective seat being seen and being heard, the shared understanding that we're all in it together. Like you just said, we've all got our own stories. Everybody's stories are so unique. And how delicious is it to honor them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's been it's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure, actually. Yeah. yeah. You know, and the, the amazing parents we've met along the way. Oh, who yeah. So just lovely people. Lovely. Yeah, totally. Now, I mean, you're unusual um, in terms of in comparison with my other guests because you don't offer services to other people. You're not on social media. You don't have a website. You are just a legend in your own living room, (laughs) my darling. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So I I feel really sad for people that they won't be able to reach out and find out more about your work unless they come and send a child to Plashit Girls School. That's right, you know. But, you know, this is also a podcast about all kinds of people and how they're sharing their wisdom in the channels 
that they're sharing them. So just to really honor that there are beacons of light like you within the education system, you know, and uh, that for parents to really trust that and celebrate that. Thank you, Vicky. Oh, you're welcome, my darling. <laughs> so we're going to bring this to a close and I'm just going to say thanks again. And um, I hope the listeners have really found something that's planted some seeds for them about personal expression and theatre and uh, warmth and dedication to other people's growth because that's the business we're in baby (laughs) all right then my darling I'll see you soon bye thank you Vicky love you bye